Hey y'all, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is eight to 10 years old. Now, these episodes were intended to be evergreen and I still believe there's a lot of good information in these early episodes, but I do wanna let you know that some of my ideas have evolved over time. Times have changed since we made these episodes and ultimately, I'd like to think I've grown a lot as an artist and a human and that these don't necessarily represent my best work or the best of the podcast. If you're new around here, I suggest starting with the most recent episode or at least go back to around 300 and move forward from there. Enjoy the episode. You're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show is about commercial art, making a good living, making great art. I'm your host, Andy J. Miller. We want to thank our proud syndicate, Illustration Age. You can find this show at illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Hey guys, so today on the show, I want to talk about anxiety. I wanted to talk about anxiety because it's something that, you know, 
I never would have thought that I was someone who struggled with anxiety. I never really saw myself as that person. And I didn't really think that I had that much anxiety in relationship to creating things, making things, putting things out there into the world. But recently I've had kind of some, a few more intense bouts of anxiety uh, for a lot of different reasons. But then looking back, I can see anxiety and fear uh, kind of playing a role all along the way of making things. And then I started having discussions with other people about it and kind of thinking about it uh, on a deeper level and realized that it's just so much of the journey for creative people. Like it's not unusual. And I don't, and I want to be clear that I don't think that I have levels of, of anxiety that are diagnosable. Diagnose, I don't know if diagnose, <laughs> diagnosable. I don't, really don't know if that's the word. I think maybe it is. It might not be. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's not. Um, but I, like, I don't think I have a disorder. I don't think. And before I go any further, actually, I wanted to be really clear. This this episode's about fear. It's about anxiety. And I'm not an expert. And it, this this episode is not about how to rid anxiety from your life. It's that's not the idea of it. And if you struggle with significant anxiety about life, I want to encourage you to go get professional help. I've seen um, kind of extreme anxiety firsthand uh, that was dangerous. And you know, I recommend go. Don't be ashamed of that. Go get that sorted. This episode is not going to help you. Uh, reduce significant levels of anxiety about everyday life. Um, this episode is about learning how to cope with the anxiety that comes from being a creative person. Uh, and the reason why is that I actually think anxiety is the antithesis of uh, of creativity. It is the opposite of creativity. I think trying to be creative from a place of anxiety is like trying to plant a garden on concrete, like throwing some uh, <laughs> seeds, just scattering some seeds across concrete. Uh, and I think it is a real stumbling block um, for your best work. And, the, and I think actually the reason why I've been struggling more with anxiety than I ever have is because I think the f closer you get to the work that you really need to be doing, the work that's most true and most important for you, the closer you get to that, the more vulnerable you're going to be and the more anxiety-inducing it could be. And so as I'm doing the podcast, you know, that's been the the most it's, – it's turned into the – some of the hardest work that I've ever done in terms of fear and anxiety because I'm being so open, I'm being so vulnerable, and I'm sharing my most authentic work. And probably and arguably in my opinion, like maybe the most important work that I've done, um, whatever that might mean. And so the gravity of that and the vulnerability of that has made it um, you know, it's kind of the ripe place to start having anxiety about your creativity. This episode is about 
battling that, battling through it, and basically like hacking anxiety and creativity. How do you uh, still have anxiety, still know that it's going to be there, but get your best creative work done anyway? And that's what this is about. We're just going to talk about some practices, some ways of approaching creativity uh, to reduce anxiety and get your best work. These are just some tricks that I've found work for me. That's what we're going to talk about. Before we jump into the practices, though, I just want to articulate why I think it's so important that you get a hold of anxiety. And the reason is, is that I think creativity requires you to have this state of mind, which is very loose and very open. And, you know, when you're having fun, you're really creative. But often when money gets involved, your livelihood, feeding your children, you know, there's a billion different factors. When you're doing creativity for a living and you're mixing that art and business, all of a sudden it becomes very difficult to have fun on purpose so that you can pay your bills. And, you know, creativity can come out of other places than fun, but it does require this looseness of mind, this relaxed approach. And it kind of reminded me of, it reminded me of a lot of things, to be honest. I'm just going to go through a list of different ways of looking at what the problem with approaching creativity with anxiety is. I think it's kind of like working really hard to relax, like they're opposites. You can't work hard to relax. It's just something you do. Or like, you know, flailing when you're trying to float on the water. There's this aspect of creativity, this effortlessness that has to happen. But how do you do that on command when you have to, when you have to pay the bills? Uh, you know, I thought about it like, uh, it's kind of like dropping your son or daughter off for Little, little League and saying, I just want you to remember the most important thing is to have fun. But what's really fun is winning the game. And that's what I feel like creativity for a living can sometimes feel like. Another way I thought about it was like, imagine you had this massive crush and they were always talking about how sense of humor is everything to them. And then they said, Oh, I've got to show you this YouTube video. I cried laughing. You're going to die laughing. Imagine trying to enjoy watching that YouTube video, that kind of pressure. And I think often when it comes to getting paid, paying your bills, thriving as a creative person, it's like trying to enjoy that YouTube video that you know is going to determine your fate with your crush. You know this work that you're doing is going to determine how other people perceive you, future jobs, you know, whether, you, whether you're, you have awards or whether you don't, whether you get to pay your bills or not. And all of that pressure compounding down on your creativity uh, can stifle it because in order to be creative, you have to have that looseness of mind. And I thought about it like trying to catch butterflies, like trying to catch creativity, trying to catch that lightning. It's like trying to catch a butterfly with a fist. That tightness of anxiety and approaching making from that place, you're never going to get your best work. And this episode is, what are some 
tried and true practices that I've heard from other people, that I that I came up with myself, and that I employ on a regular basis to try to burst through that tightness of anxiety and make my best work. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So my first tip, number one, I think it was best said by Scar from The Lion King. I want to sing it, but I can't bring myself to do it because it's just cringe, cringe fest. But it's Be Prepared. Remember remember that song? Be, I can't do it. I want to sing it, but I'm not gonna, going to. I'm not going to do it. Be Prepared. Uh, Preparation. This came from uh, my buddy Doug. Doug from Seraph Creative here in town. He he knows it comes from some kind of sports coach. Maybe I'll put that in the show notes if he comes and reaches out and tells me who it is. But uh, the idea is that all of that anxiety, the only place for it to go is into practice and preparation. Like if you're playing a game, if you're a b-baller and you're going out in the game, you cannot be in your head. You, you have to be totally present in the moment and being stuck in your head is not being present. And when you, go to, when you get that job in your inbox that you've been waiting for and now it's time to perform, that is not the time to be strategizing and thinking through what your process is and you know second guessing everything about the way you make things that's the time to get in the zone and make your best work how do you do that i think you do that by practicing 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 being prepared for when that thing shows up on your door um you don't wait for the thing to show up to get ready and, you know, I'm terrible at basketball, absolutely terrible, but I really love playing. So when I'm at my dad's house, like if we go visit my parents, uh, sometimes they play basketball on Saturday mornings and I always play and I'm usually really, really bad. I can't shoot worth a dang. I can barely make a layup. I'm pretty good at rebounds. That's one thing. I'm pretty good at rebounds, which can be a game changer, <laughs> which can be a game changer. I'm talking, I'm like, Andy, you you can be a game changer. You are good like that's me convincing myself that rebounds matter um but but uh and i'm pretty good at defense i think um but anyway i'm kind of dennis rodman anyway um i think that you know the, or this last week i played and i played one of my best saturday mornings and the reason i did well and i actually contributed is because i spent the warm-up time when everybody's chatting, shooting the stuff with everybody else. Um, instead of, you know, I usually don't shoot because I'm terrible at shooting. So they're all like practicing their threes, doing their layups, throwing the ball up, swishing over here, swishing over there. And I just kind of like do nothing because I don't want to just stand around making, you know, airballing shots and looking like a fool. Um, but this time what I did was I just shot like 50 layups in a row. And I kid you not, the first 10 were so atrocious. And I was embarrassed by how terrible they were. And that's why I usually don't do this. But I just thought, you know what? I need to get in the rhythm of like what a layup feels like because I only touch a basketball like once a year. And uh, by the end, I was making every single one and I'd found a rhythm. 
and usually in the games, I I make one layup out of ten. And uh, because I'm always getting the rebounds and they're saying, throw it up, man. And I'm like, no, no, thank you. I'll just pass. Um, Literally, I will pass and um, pass the ball to somebody else. But this time I was like, I don't know, eight for 10. And I was kind of like a real contributor. And it all came from instead of being all in my head and worrying about missing shots and all that jazz, I got into my rhythm before game time. And then when it was time to throw up some sweet shots. I don't know the lingo even. (laughs) Uh, I was in that rhythm. And I think one of the best ways to get ready to do your performance is to just be making that work all the time. Train yourself. And we talked about this in another episode, that creativity is like breastfeeding. The more you pump, the more it flows. You can't be economic about it. You can't be, oh, I'm saving my my good juices. (laughs) This is getting super weird. I meant like creative juices um, for when that real big job comes in because I don't want to overexert myself. That's not how it works. If you're making good work day in, day out, keeping your muscles toned, when the ball's passed to you, you're going to be ready for that shot. And so what I suggest you do is you figure out that creativity that you should be doing. Let's say you're an editorial illustrator and you got to come up with these pithy mashups. Be making those things all the time. Make them for yourself if you have to. Make them for the internet. Make them for posters. Make it make all the time and that muscle will be ready when you get the ball thrown to you. And so for the podcast, one of the things I've been trying to do is just be doing this all the time. Be thinking and talking and just make it a regular thing. Don't make it a thing that you build up to and then panic about. Um, do it all the time. And I think by working out those muscles before it's game time means that when it's finally time to create on command, your muscle memory will do the work. They talk about this idea of getting in the flow state. That's where you get your best creativity, right? The best way to do that uh, and, and what they say actually happens is your subconscious starts writing the song for you. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that mental muscle memory where your creativity kind of leads the way in the moment. And the only way to do that is to practice, practice, practice. Be really prepared. So the next one, number two, is the John Cleese method, and it's the idea of no end game, play with no end game. And actually, the definition of play, uh, you know, in it inherently is this idea that you it, there's no purpose to it; it's just for its own enjoyment. And when you start putting the pressure of an end game, all of a sudden it just sucks the fun right out of it. You know, when I was in high school, I really wanted to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> I don't know. I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. I wanted to do all that stuff. I don't I don't know. I don't know where it came from. I think it just too many Jim Carrey movies or something. And uh, I actually was pretty good, I want to say. I was pretty good at making people laugh in class and, you know, hanging out. I could get people to laugh. I was kind of a complete goofball. I've changed a lot since then. I've gotten really, really serious, and I don't. I don't, I'm not silly anymore, 
But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, then I did a talent show where I, I tried to do stand-up for the first time. And it was like all of a sudden, by having to do it, like having this specific end game of like, okay, now I'm going to stand up and make people laugh. It was like I did not know how to be funny anymore because all of a sudden there was this very specific purpose, this very specific goal, and it took that looseness of just trying to make, just trying to hang out and have a good time, uh, and it really crushed it. Uh, now, John Cleese has done a lot of work on creativity. He was one of the original Monty Python uh comedians, super funny guy. You can go check out all of his work on YouTube and, and, and all over the place on the internet. He has so many really, really good ideas about creativity. He's done tons of research. One of the things he said was that a big part of his process is this idea of being in the open mode. So the closed mode is where you're editing. It's where you're uh, deciding what's good and bad, what's going to serve the purpose, what's not going to serve the purpose. And the open mode is just getting into the flow, having a good time with no critics. There's no critical thought. It, you know, if you, if you do something in that mode that's creatively terrible, doesn't matter because the purpose is just to be creating. It's just to get into the flow, just to uh, get into that mode. And that's the only purpose for that time. Now, I often say it like, you know, Michael Jordan could never get into the flow. He could never get into the zone of playing if he had to ref the game at the same time. And often, if we go to make something and we're deciding as we're drawing, as we're writing, if we're trying to decide if it's good at the very same time, we're stuck in our heads. We're not being present in the moment. We're not enjoying the process. We're just obsessing over whether what we're doing is good or bad. And so what John Cleese suggests is this idea of doing these open sessions where he'll say, all right, for the next two hours, there's only one thing that matters that I get into the zone that I, in meaning, I enjoy the process or I get into that kind of uh, free association zone where I'm just making stuff, like whether I'm writing or, or speaking into a microphone, whatever it is, that period of time, that two hours, the only thing I'm going to try to do is enjoy the process. And at the end of that two hours, I do not have to have anything usable. There's nothing usable that has to come from it. And if you find yourself getting stuck, worried about, is this good? Is this bad? I really, really suggest finding ways of getting into that open mode. For me personally, one tactic that I've used is to create what a lot of people call a messy sketchbook. I have a sketchbook that I don't plan on showing anybody. I don't, you know, I can do things in there that are bad, that are wrong, that just shouldn't be. It doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is that I'm doing it. Literally, the only thing that matters in the open mode is that you're doing it. Are you making something? Okay, you're succeeding. And it's even bigger success if you enjoy it or you really get into just being present in that mode. And then afterwards, when it's all said and done, you can go back and edit. You can go back and think, you know what? 99% of that time was a complete waste for end game. But this one thing, I could actually turn that into something. I think it's incredibly important to set aside time to enjoy the process of the creativity without worrying about 
whether it's valuable, whether it has an end game, whether it's gonna be profitable. You can't put that on all of your creative output or it's gonna suck it dry. It's gonna be like trying to catch butterflies with your fists. Okay, so number three is do multiple takes. Seth Godin, who I talk about all the time, he's a real genius in marketing and just as a human, I think, uh, talks about the idea that, talks about the idea, I don't, I went into a weird voice there for a minute. Uh, no, he talks about this idea that the people with great ideas are also the same people that have the most bad ideas. Because the fact of the matter is they just come up with tons and tons of things. And that's part of the reason why they get good ideas. It's just by sheer quantity. I think one of the things that happens for creative people is anxiety causes us to want to get started really quick, uh, go with any idea that we can come up with. You know, in college, for me, that looked like any time there was a brief, before they'd even finished telling us what the problem was, I'd already solved it. I'd already thought, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do for this project, and I'd, I was already sketching the solutions before we'd even been given the project. Um, and in my last project, I've talked about this on the podcast, but I feel like I learned such a big lesson from it. It's worth repeating, and it's something I still need to remember. But in the last project, I'd done the same thing, went off to the races, poured all my time and energy into this one idea, but we were supposed to present four ideas, four different, completely different directions to solve the same problem. And in my infinite wisdom as a 19-year-old, I thought, oh, I know better than that. I came up with a super good idea. I know it's going to be the right one. I put all of my time and energy in, into, into the first idea. And then the night before, I was in bed and I thought, all right, I've got to come up with three other ideas. And really, I honestly thought they better be bad because I want them to pale in comparison to the one that I already know I want to do, which was number one. Uh, basically, I was going to come up with this thing where I was promoting the red iPod. Uh, that was the problem that I'd been given by myself to solve. And I was going to approach it by doing these African patterns, African mask thing. I don't know. I really don't honestly know. That was my first idea, and I was super jazzed about it at the time. And as I'm laid there in bed thinking through, all right, I've got to come up with three terrible ideas. The last idea I came up with was essentially an early version of the, uh, of the Indie Rock coloring book, which then went on to be um, a pretty big success for me in my career. It was one of the first big things that I've done, uh, sold, you know, a decent amount, especially for a coloring book in 2009 before all adult coloring was in full swing. Uh, but that last idea that I came up randomly, no pressure, just trying to come up with stupid stuff turned into one of the biggest successes in my career. And I really think it's down to the fact that there was no pressure and no anxiety on this idea. And that's why I think it's so important to come up with way more ideas than you could possibly use because then you know that lots of them can, can be trash. Like nine out of 10 can be trash. It's not a problem at all. And when you create that boundary, you create that framework 
all of a sudden the pressure is completely gone because you know only one of these things has to be decent. And that's why I suggest if you're feeling that anxiety to perform, like, um, and you have the ability to come up with lots of different directions and, and know that you're not going to go with all of them, that can create this environment where it's a much more relaxed setting. And so if you get a job, if you get an opportunity, overdo it. Don't worry about being economic with your ideas. Don't get carried away and fall in love with the first idea. Like you might come up with something three ideas down the lane that makes that first idea look terrible. Another way that I approach this is if I'm working with, usually it's like a new client and I'm kind of unsure, uh, you know, I really want to do a good job, but I'm unsure of what they're looking for. Sometimes in that situation, I'll plan on sending several ideas over, but, and I'll tell them, I'm going to send you a few things, but first I'm just going to send you the first thing that comes to mind. And then I want you to just tell me what you like about it. Tell me what you don't like about it. When I burst that pressure bubble by sending over that first thing and the pressure is all of a sudden off, not only do I get good feedback that helps me actually go into a good direction and I get to hear kind of more of where they're really coming from because usually they don't know what they want until they see what they don't want. Uh, not only does that work, also I, I've already burst the bubble of doing this perfectly and now it's like, all right, now I just have to bring this back. And that process works really well for me. And so the third thing I suggest you do is do multiple takes. So number four is divorce yourself from the end results or obsessing with it going perfectly. This one goes back to number one. Number one of being prepared. Take all that anxious energy and all that worrying about doing, doing it right and getting what you want. Take all of, all of that and put it into the practice. Put it into making tons of stuff when it doesn't matter. Put it into the preparation. But when it's time to get up on stage and perform, when it's time to play the game, when it's time to do the actual client work, you have to divorce yourself from any particular way that it goes. You have to say, I'm going to go and do my best. I'm going to be 100% present. And if I get totally destroyed, it is what it is because I've done all of the work up front. For me, with public speaking, I can get a little bit nervous. Even though I'm a complete goofball and I always enjoy it, for whatever reason, the buildup of it is nerve-wracking. And then also, I get, I want it so badly to be real value for the audience. Like I, I want there to be moments in it where I've really given it my all and someone has something to take away. I don't know what that pressure is, but I put it on myself and it can create some anxiety when I go to do that. One of the ways that I've dealt with it is by preparing insanely, like to a crazy degree, like thinking massively through the point I want to make, structuring it, outlining it, practicing it 10 times. But then the hour before, I don't want to think about any of it. I really try to not remember any of it. I try to just leave it, set it aside. This also goes the same for my interviews. I've found that I can get nervous to interview people. And it's almost never about being nervous to talk with that person. It's all about 
doing a good job in the moment, like making an interview for the podcast that goes really well, that has lots of value, that's really enjoyable, because I just want to make something awesome. And that's the pressure I put on myself. But what I found that works really, really well is to do tons of preparation, learn about the person, come up with really good questions, like really thoughtful questions that are open, that could lead to all kinds of things, really tap into what am I... What do I want to know about this person? But then in the moment, completely let it go. Just put it down. You know, I was interviewing someone for the podcast. I don't know if this is going to come out before or after that, so I'm not going to give it away. But I was interviewing uh, a creative hero of mine, and I'd done all my preparation, and I had my notes, sat on my lap, and right before we got started, the, the cat in the house came and sat on my lap, right on my notes so I couldn't even see them. And it was like, you know, a divine intervention to remember, like, just forget the notes. You've prepared. You have plenty of things to talk about. Get in the moment. Get present right here and just let it be what it's going to be. There's a degree in which you are what you are. You've done the preparation that you've done, and now it's just time to play. Brene Brown uh, has done a lot of work on this idea of being vulnerable. She has a really great TED Talks and books out there. I'll link to them in the show notes. But one of the things that she talks about is this, uh, I think it's a Teddy Roosevelt quote, and it's about this idea that if you're going to get into the ring, you're going to get bruised. Like, you can be safe. You can be someone sat on the sidelines critiquing those in the ring, but the real glory comes from being in the ring, taking the hits. And so if you want to be creative, there is this point where you have to understand you're going to do it wrong. You're going to be critiqued. You're going to fail. You're going to sometimes do something that maybe came from the wrong motives. Like you're going to make the wrong choice. And it's all part of the process because making art is about being vulnerable to that. It's about expressing who you are, what you've got inside you. And when you do that, you're going to get hit. And there's this point where you have to tell the anxiety, look, the outcome is going to be the outcome. I'm going to go into that meeting. I'm going to put my, yeah, I'm going to put my best foot forward. I'm going to show, I'm going to be on as possible, as, as much as possible. I'm going to do my best. But if I get the job, great. It's meant to be. And if I don't, it's not. And you have to detach yourself from controlling the outcomes. And if you can't do that, you're going to be a ball of anxiety and you're not going to do your best work. All right, the last one. I think we're on number five because I've kind of mashed some of these together and I'm just trying to get, I'm trying to be present. I'm trying to just go with it. Now I've done my prep. Now I'm just trying to be totally (laughs) in the zone here and giving you the best stuff. If that means improv in a bit, sometimes it's going to look a little bit messy, but I'm down to get, you know, take some hits, right? Because I'm in the ring. Uh, (laughs) Not to make fun of my, all the things that I just said, Uh, but uh, you know, you got to make fun of yourself. Um, But I think it's number five. It's our last one. And I call this one the Andy J. Miller method because I I made it up as far as I can tell. And it's something that, you know, I found 
uh, is the most helpful for me is kind of a cosmic view. I'm sure there are plenty of ways to see it in a non-cosmic, you know, universal, spiritual thinking way. Um, But I haven't figured out how to do that. So I'm just going to go with it. I think that one of the most powerful ways of dealing with anxiety is to see that anxiety attack. When that anxiety comes to smash you over the head and stop you in your tracks, that the best thing to do is to see it not as a sign to stop, not as a sign that says you're going the wrong way and it's a dead end, but as a sign that you are on to something. For me personally, I've found that when whenever I'm feeling that hardcore anxiety or I feel like I'm almost being attacked on a spiritual level, that I see it not as a sign to turn around, but as a sign that the thing I'm about to do is important and something cosmic is trying to stop me. Even if it's just my own lizard brain, that it knows I'm about to step into something bigger and it's super scared, I know even more reason to jump all in because this work must be important if I'm feeling this vulnerable about it. And so my last point is to say, when that voice on your shoulder says, oh no, this is getting risky. Like, man, if you put this out in the world, imagine if people hate it, how stupid you're gonna feel. What if you fall flat on your face while you're trying to do this work? You know, it's... a uh, Paulo Coelho, he's a writer, said that one of the reasons we don't do our, you know, our our biggest desires, the reason we don't do them, is because if we fail in that, we can't say, well, at least I didn't really want it. Like at least I didn't really care about this thing. When you go to do your most important work, your anxiety is going to be right there with you because you know that it actually does matter. And so instead of seeing that anxiety as a stumbling block or a roadblock or a brick wall that says you're not going any further, I've found it's really helpful to think, well, I'm on to something. If, if there are some forces out there that are saying, whoa, stop, 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 I must be doing some work that's powerful. And actually, uh, a few episodes ago, it was the most anxious I'd felt about it. I don't know why exactly. Um, But it was also probably the episode that people responded most to and said that it was the most powerful for them. In the moment, I knew, I just had this sense that if I'm feeling this anxious and vulnerable about this work that I'm trying to create, this must actually be real creativity. This must actually be sincere and actually authentic, deep within me. I must be really pulling something out of me if I'm feeling this vulnerable. And if I'm doing that, now that is real art. And I've found that instead of panicking when that panic comes along and saying, oh no, I'm going the wrong way. Things are getting bad. See it as, oh, there's something around that knows I'm onto something and it's trying to stop me from doing the real good stuff. And I've found that to be one of the most inspiring approaches uh, to getting over anxiety and pushing forward. Liz 
Gilbert is someone, she's a writer, and she wrote the book Big Magic. She's done TED Talks about creativity, uh, and she has a lot of good ideas about getting through fear, breaking through the anxiety of creating. And one of the things that she said that I think was most helpful for me was this idea that fear is not going away. It's not going anywhere. It's going to be there uh, even in just an a cellular evolution level, we have that fear there. It's kept us alive. It's kept us safe from the saber-toothed tigers. Uh, but when it comes to making something, you're not actually risking your hide. Like you're risking very little, maybe your reputation at best. And we tend to feel like we're risking our necks, that it's make or break. And one of the things that she said that's been really helpful for me is just realizing that your fear is not bad. It keeps you safe. Uh, keep it, It's kept us around, and it's not going anywhere. And when you feel that fear at the beginning of a project or at any stage, you can say, hey there, fear, I see you there. Go ahead and get in the car. We're going for a ride. And for me personally, this is what it's about. It's committing to creativity over the long haul. You're going to live a creative life. You're going to make stuff and you're going to express yourself. Even if you fail, even if it goes poorly, even if you do something that makes you look like an idiot, even if you even if you actually go the wrong path and you make a mistake and you do something bad, like all of that, be willing to take the punches, commit to making stuff. Even in the moment, if that thing comes at you, just say, look, maybe I'm, maybe, maybe this isn't going to turn out fantastic, but I'm finishing this thing. You know, let's go back to Paulo Coelho, the author. He has a really great quote and it says, there's only one thing that makes a dream impossible to achieve and it's the fear of failure. And I see so many creative people not make their best work, not be authentic about the work that they really want to make, um, not finish things because they're perfectionists and they want and they're so attached to this certain outcome, um, or or afraid to make their best work because they don't think it's gonna get them to the right place, or make fake work, make work that is half 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 hearted uh, because they think it's gonna you know resonate in a certain market and they're gonna reap the benefits of that. Whatever it is, whatever anxiety and fear causes you to do in your work that is not your best, I just want to give you a call to commit to go through the process anyway. If that thing is begging you to stop and pull over the car and and quit the game, I encourage you to say, look, we're going whether you like it or not. Keep finishing projects, nothing good in your career is going to happen from ideas stuck in your head. You've got to keep making things. That's my encouragement. That's what this episode's all about. And I want to leave on one final note. And that is if you struggle with significant anxiety that is harming your life or is more than what's normal, whoever knows what that means. But if that, if it's, if it's extreme in any way, don't take this episode and use it as like self-help. I I am not a doctor. I am not, I'm not qualified to do that. This episode is about getting through anxiety so that you have the right, uh, looseness to make your best work. It's not about, 
um, saving your life or anything like that, if you're in that situation, you're struggling with severe anxiety, go get help. Don't look to Dr. Pizza. I'm not a real doctor. Uh, and I don't want to be, I don't want that on my back because I was worried about if I'm going to talk about anxiety, I don't want anybody to use that as an excuse to not go get the help that they need. Um, so I wanted to end on that note. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I really appreciate it. You guys are the most lovely people in the world and all your notes and reviews and shares and all that, they really do mean a lot to me and I really appreciate that. So thanks for listening. I hope you got something great out of today's episode. Thanks to our proud syndicate, Illustration Age. You can find this show at illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Nate Utesh and his band Metavari for all the other tunes. Go check out Metavari at soundcloud.com slash Metavari. Guys, I feel ya. This road is long, it is hard, and it, it's still hard for me. I'm still struggling. It's There's so much um, it, uh, to battle with if you're trying to live a creative life and have a creative career. I'm with you in the trenches. I'm there for you, man. And, well, man, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Do whatever you gotta do to stay pepped up. Peace.